0: Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, an historic announcement from the FDA changes the rules about who can give blood. For the first time since 1985, sexually active gay and bisexual men won't be automatically excluded. But the rollout for those new rules is kind of fuzzy. And while the restrictions have changed, they aren't completely gone. Shonda Young is the CEO of the local service group Allies for Health and Well-Being, and he's with me to talk about those complications, plus his hopes for what could come next. It's Monday, June 5th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. Sean, you and your crew provide all kinds of assistance for folks who need it. What was your first reaction when this blood ban was lifted?
1: I was extremely happy uh, that we're moving in a positive direction, um, especially for gay men who would like to give uh, blood donation. Uh, We saw our first, I would say, positive step during the pandemic in 2020 when they reduced the abstinence time from one year to three months. But uh, this new rule—it's an individual risk assessment—which definitely makes it a little bit more equitable. But we're not—we're not there yet.
0: Why do you think that this change is coming now?
1: Well, and let's just go back. So, nineteen—you know, nineteen eighty-five—the ban goes into effect. Um, it took all the way to twenty fifteen to make any change. So, you know, if you were a gay man, you could not give blood at all up until twenty fifteen, um, and then it was a year of abstinence. You know, and I think that. The pandemic put a highlight on the need for uh, blood donation and also, I think, brought into focus that, you know, the testing of the blood donations is high level and will catch any kind of situation where someone may have given blood and didn't know their status and and happened to be HIV positive. So the science is there.
0: Yeah. What role do you think that stigma played in this policy? Like, do you think that that's part of why it persisted as long as it has?
1: I think, um, you know, I think that, you know, even from the beginning, you know, HIV was viewed upon as, you know, a gay male's disease. And that was unfair. We know from time and history that it can affect anyone. Um, Making that assumption that, you know, men who have sex with men are maybe more promiscuous or, you know, having more unprotected sex was just really not the case. Um, you know, there's risks in all sexual orientations and genders. And it, even even with the move in 2015 to say, you know what, you can get blood, but you need to not have sex for a whole year. Um, again, makes that... But imp- that
0: wasn't the policy, say, for a college student, for example. Correct. Who, who Correct. may be making all kinds of fun choices.
1: Absolutely. And that's something that... Um, you know i can speak to as an organization you know LS for health and well-being does on-site um, hiv hepatitis c gonorrhea chlamydia syphilis testing uh, six days a week we've been doing it for years and we're located in east liberty so we're right in between a lot of different schools and the one thing that i can tell you is that college kids have a lot of sex and you know and that's just from you know growing <laughs> up and going to college myself we we know this right so and college kids aren't, you know, are another piece of the population that might engage in risky sexual behaviors.
0: So what exactly is the new policy now? Um, And how do you know if you're eligible? Like, what kinds of questions might you be asked?
1: So, um, and I haven't seen the actual risk assessment myself. I've just read about it. Uh, So it's looking at individuals who are having annually receptive sex, uh, unprotected, or with more than one partner um, over a three-month span. So for those individuals, you know that fall into that category. So that's again, regardless of your um, gender or sexual orientation, if you are having unprotected sex, uh, and anal, especially anally receptive sex, you're deferred for three months, basically. Deferred
0: meaning, meaning you, you should can, not give.
1: You can, yeah, you should not give or cannot give until you've been abstinent for three months, which obviously is a big change from from the past. Now, if you are in a monogamous relationship, so if you're, in, you know, a, a male has sex with male or a transgendered woman and you're in a monogamous relationship and, and having unprotected, uh, anally receptive sex, you can give blood.
0: But it's interesting because this move to, you know, that individual risk assessment seems like it could actually prohibit some people from giving who've maybe donated in the past. You know, it, it opens the donation up to a huge section of the community, but it might also clamp down a little on some others
1: it could potentially have that effect that it's catching some other folks that didn't maybe realize so oh, you know i give all the time but i never was asked this question you know and i would hope that folks would just educate themselves on you know what the requirements are and um you know that it's just a non-issue that folks are, are meeting criteria and can go if they're meeting criteria
0: Yeah, yeah. I had a friend once uh, while giving blood, didn't realize that there were restrictions around travel and tattoos. So instead of answering yes, they just stood up and they're like, turns out I'm not eligible and walked right out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. Um, You know, so some restrictions have been around for a while, and that's something that people can reconcile on their own. Um, But again, at least it's moving to a space of equity uh, and not singling out or targeting one specific, you know, demographic.
0: But there are still some restrictions, like people who are on preventative HIV medication, like PrEP, for example.
1: Yeah. So PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. And if you're on PrEP, you cannot give a blood donation. So I don't know if there's, again, that stigma assumption that if you're on, on PrEP, that you're automatically having all kinds of unprotected sex, um, I think that that's an overgeneralization, my opinion. I would like to read more about the science on that.
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's in the most recent fact sheet from Vitalant, the big local blood bank here in Pittsburgh. It looks like it's probably still a COVID-era one, not necessarily reflective of the new FDA rules. But yeah, there's the oral pill that you have to be off of for three months. And then Vitalant's guidance says that injectables are no goes for a whole two years.
1: Right. You know, we, I'll get in my soapbox a little bit. Okay. This, these prep meds have revolutionized, you know, how how we can approach prevention, right? So this is a medication if taken properly and every day, like you should, will protect you from, from um, getting HIV. If, you know, this information coming out that says, you know what, you know, if you're on Descovy, you can't, you got to be off of it for three months before you give, or, you know, two years if it's, if you're getting the injectable, I think further pushes people away and backs us up more and stigmatizes it more. So I I just hope that they I'm afraid that it would drive people maybe away from getting on prep.
0: I would love to hear your perspective on how you think some of our queer community is likely to respond to this. You know, do people want to donate? Maybe they don't at all. It seems like it might be hard to recruit people and rebuild trust in a community that's been told consistently for decades that they're not wanted.
1: Right. I would hope people would continue to move things forward in terms of equity. That the that the fight is not over. Um, it's not a reason, you know, to retreat. It is something to at least trumpet a little bit that, you know, yes, it's been decades long of discrimination, but we're finally moving, you know, this is one, in my view, one positive light in a time, you know, the, the last couple of years, especially over the last year, that things have gotten really negative um, in terms of equality uh, and what we're seeing in schools and books and, and everything else. You know, my feeling is, you know, people, could have given blood before and maybe lied about it and felt, you know, if I can't be my true, true self, then I'm just, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to lie about it until I can give and I'm allowed to give. And and I hope people will choose to do that.
0: What kind of effect do you think it'll have on our community's blood supply? And also just, you know, our queer community here in Pittsburgh is so wonderfully giving anyway. I can imagine that, With this information, you know there might be more of an outcry. Like, oh, I can help someone in my own community. I, I, I really want to do that. You know,
1: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's one thing we know about our LGBTQ community here in in Pittsburgh, not just in Pittsburgh, but across the across the world, is that it is a, you know, an incredibly giving uh, and caring community. Uh, And I think that if people have that opportunity, that they're going to. And you know, I've I've heard that from people over the years saying, man so-and-so, you know, that I know is sick, you know, they're looking for blood donations and I'm just not allowed and that's not fair. And yeah, hopefully this moves the needle a little bit and we see, you know, just a, a broader coalition of people saying, yeah, I'm going to give because I can now um, and it's needed, you know, and I think that everybody in this country was affected somewhere or the other by, by the COVID outbreak. And, had loved ones or or you know friends or coworkers that had to be hospitalized that needed blood you know and some people wanted to step up and couldn't and i think that if presented with that same issue again more people will step up and give and i think that's important
0: yeah would you say that this is it's hard to use this word but maybe one small good outcome from covid
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, not a whole lot of good has come out of COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, and one, one thing that was bad, though, is we learned that we did not have enough blood in our, in our stores, so to speak, to serve the uh, communities that were most affected by COVID. Um, and there were big pushes for donation. And, and uh, you know, hopefully this will open that up and encourage more folks to to do it.
0: And what are you hearing from people? Are they excited to give, to be part of it?
1: You know, I, I haven't heard much over the last two weeks since it's become official. I heard a bunch right after the FDA um, put out its proposed guidance uh, on how things were going to change. And, and a lot of folks that I interacted with spoke about, you know, their excitement for being able to give to the community, uh, blood banks, et cetera, um, where they haven't been in the past. So fingers crossed that that continues.
0: yeah have you given recently?
1: I give as often as I can, actually. Um, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a PEDS donor, so I'm O-negative. I'm
0: um, oh, you're in demand.
1: Yeah, I give I give blood a few times a year. I'm also, I've had, unfortunately, a number of surgeries over the past couple of years, and I've had to receive blood. So I understand the importance of that.
0: Yeah, paying it forward. What would you say to someone who's maybe on the fence about giving blood for the first time now that they finally can?
1: Well, I can say it's extremely safe. Um, it is, you know, I look at people that I know that are afraid of needles um, and that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people out there that are. But the, the folks at the blood banks, uh, and you highlighted Vitalant, um, they do incredible jobs. They're extremely caring uh, individuals. And uh, so it might be a little scary at first, especially if you've never given. But, you know, I think it's worth taking the leap. And giving that donation because it, it, it means a lot um, to our health community.
0: You can get good snacks at the end, too.
1: You can get good snacks at the end. Usually some good cookies or or something along those lines. And, and generally a you know, glass of orange juice or something. But uh, I definitely encourage anybody that's listening, if they don't give, to give it a try. And if you are a past donor, get out there and get back on the horse. Get back on the horse. That's right.
0: Sean DeYoung is the CEO for Allies for Health and Wellbeing. Sean, thank you so much.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me on.
0: Sean and I actually got to talk in after we turned the recorder off, and we both still had questions about why exactly people taking PrEP can't give blood at all. And it turns out our sister show, CityCast Salt Lake, got to exactly the heart of that.
2: Yeah, so their reasoning is that when you're on PrEP, and let's say you come into contact with HIV, you would potentially have a little bit of HIV in your system until you can clear the infection. Now, if you're having sex with someone else and you're exchanging bodily fluids, that amount isn't enough to transmit HIV when you're on PrEP because it does its job, you clear it and it's gone. But when you're donating blood, that little bit in a 500 mil bag is actually a lot and it's enough to potentially cause HIV in someone else if you're still clearing the infection when you're on PrEP. The other difficulty is the testing that we do. PrEP decreases the amount of RNA from HIV in your bloodstream, and it decreases your ability to potentially respond with an antibody if you were to happen to contract it, which means that it takes us longer to detect it in the lab, or we might miss it. So if you're on PrEP, we could potentially miss someone that is, let's say, clearing the infection. And even though they are fully safe and they are fine on a global scale, taking someone's blood and putting it into someone else's veins could transmit the virus while they're still clearing it. So it's a bit of a tricky situation because it was, as a public health thing, it is an amazing blockbuster idea and medication and everything. But on a transfusion side of things, it really puts a hamper on a lot of stuff for us.
0: That was Dr. Wasim Anani with CityCast Salt Lake host Ali Vallarta. A little more news before you go. The Pittsburgh Penguins have hired former Toronto Maple Leafs GM Kyle Dubas as their new president. Dubas will oversee the team's hockey operations and make strategic decisions. You might remember the Pens missed the playoffs this season for the first time since Sid first took the ice. So they cleaned house, firing President Brian Burke and GM Ron Hextall. Dubas says he wants to give the team's veteran players, including Sid, one more chance at a Stanley Cup while building a foundation for the next generation. And if you've been waiting to get a curbside recycling bin, the wait will soon be over. The city plans to unload those blue bins in its final neighborhoods tomorrow. Pittsburgh first started distributing all these bins in 2020 to get away from bag-based recycling, but it's taken ages to get all 100000 to every customer. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, please tell someone, leave us a nice rating and review. We always appreciate them. And make sure you're subscribed to our Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to y'all soon. Sorry, let me step forward again. I was backed away from my mic.